Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdJunNerd.com, and as never before, I am not joined by Adam Sims of the Back Patio Network. That's right, I'm pulling a Baca go and flying solo tonight, you damn nerds. In an effort to put out a little bit more content for you all, I'm going to produce a few filler episodes on the My Hero Academia School Briefs volumes. I believe that at the time of this recording, there are only four of those available, so there's a low ceiling for this particular pursuit, but more AMP is good AMP. Uh, I hope you think that's true at least. I'm going to keep these pretty short since it will be entirely banterless and therefore probably a tad less entertaining than our usual fair, I'll admit. If you're unfamiliar with what school briefs even is, besides that college football pair of undies you've got on right now, I'll catch you up really quickly on the concept before I dive into an overview of the first volume, chapter by chapter, as well as a few notable talking points scattered throughout. School briefs are labeled as novellas. They clock in around 250 pages, but the reading level for them is super, super low. I'd place them somewhere in the middle school grades reading range, uh, but at the same time, there are instances, most of, most of which involve Mineta, shocker, where the content might be more mature than that. It walks a really weird line, in my opinion. Uh, I was also torn at different times over who these books were even for. It definitely assumes that the reader has a knowledge of some of the goings-on of the anime by referencing things like the attack on the USJ and internships without going into detail. But at the same time, the writer goes out of his way to introduce characters and their quirks as if you're a total stranger. What I eventually landed on was that this is for fans of the series, and the repeating of personalities and quirks was akin to what Marvel used to do in their comics, where, like, you'd open the cover and the first page would be a bunch of character heads with names and powers listed below. Or like Sam Guthrie, a.k.a. Cannonball, soon-to-be star of the finally releasing After All This Time New Mutants movie, would always say, I'm nigh invulnerable while blasting, that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, Volume 1 is called Parents' Day and takes place sometime shortly after the internships. In the first chapter called Notice from School, Aizawa springs the announcement that there will be a Parents' Day at UA in just a couple of days, and the students are required to write thank you letters to their parents, which will be read aloud in class. The majority of this first chapter is spent covering the varied reactions to the letter writing amongst the students before Todoroki heads off to visit his mom, Ray, in the hospital. He's in an odd spot, right? I mean, he doesn't get along with dear old dad and his mom is stuck at the hospital. So he's torn between inviting her and being told no and just not telling her about it at all. But the announcement flyer falls out of his pocket and the gig is up anyway. Uh, his big sister, Fuyumi, agrees to go and film the whole thing, presumably so that Ray could watch it later. So a couple quick talking points about this chapter. Um, there is an explicit upskirt mention from Mineta, which jarred me a bit. Uh, if this is for sixth graders, do we really want to in introduce them to that term or practice, guys? Or, or maybe I was just a naive middle schooler myself? Anyway, uh, Eater's response was interesting, too. He said that in uh, a real evacuation, there would indeed be skirts, so adding them to the simulation would add some realism. Uh, also, Dark Shadow is referred to as a familiar in this chapter. If you listen to the podcast, you know that I still feel like Dark Shadow is more accurately described as a possession of some sort and not a quirk. Familiar can be defined as a demon supposedly attending and obeying a witch, often said to assume the form of an animal. That fits, so I'll stick with that. In the second chapter, Staff Room Uproar, Aizawa is trying to call all of 1A's parents to invite them to Parents' Day, while the rest of the staff, namely Cementos, Present Mike, Midnight Ectoplasm, and later Nezu, argue over who would be the best villain. So see, the kids don't know this, but this Parents' Day gig will be turned into a training exercise in which all of their parents who are in on this ploy are captured and threatened by a villain. So around the room they go. Mike says he'd shout them into submission. Midnight talks about just knocking them out with their pheromones. Ectoplasm says his clones would be more than enough to keep the parents crowd and also deal with the students. Cementos talks about just shutting all the parents up in a concrete dome. 
Uh, and Nezu talks about putting the parents at the center of a maze. Um, he would fill it with electric fences, pitfalls, shifting walls, complex puzzles. I then, he then goes on to say that any paths trodden would be sealed off, just as life offers no second chances before cackling maniacally, giving credence to Adam's Nezu is a villain theory. Eventually, they come to the realization that All Might would, of course, be the best villain, duh. Takeaways from this chapter include that uh, the thing that bothered me the most is that they repeatedly talk of ectoplasm sipping his tea, and I'm here to tell you that that is a bunch of bullcrap. The man doesn't have lips. Sipping anything is just simply out of the question. Uh, and there is a story from Midnight in which she says that she played doctor on a boyfriend sometime in her teens, and he, quote, goes to bat for the other team afterwards. That whole bit felt kind of out of place for me, maybe a tad too racy, even for Midnight, for her to basically say she turned a heterosexual into a homosexual. I don't know. Uh, also, there's an illustration in this chapter that makes me think that Cementos looks like one of those sardines from SpongeBob SquarePants. I've never had that thought before, but now I will never not have that thought, so there's that. Uh, there's also a really funny gag with All Might calling Endeavor to talk about Parents' Day and ending up leaving him a voicemail that I thought was pretty funny. Probably worth that entire chapter, to be honest. Chapter 3, Theme Park Panic, follows Ida, Mineta, Kaminari, and Tokoyami as they visit a theme park thanks to tickets from Native, the hero Ida, Todoroki, and Midoriya saved from Stain. Uh, Mineta and Kaminari quickly ditch the other two to troll for women, rather unsuccessfully, of course. Uh, they have such poor luck, in fact, that Mineta asks Kaminari to just shove a couple of his purple balls up his shirt so it looked like he had boobs for reasons, I guess. Uh, <laughs> a young girl named Yuka approaches the crew because she's lost her mom. After some awkward conversations with a child about what a reverse pickup is, they reunite her with her mom. Uh, but later, there's a commotion at a haunted house. It turns out Yuka's quirk activated and scared the pants off of park goers. It's all very Five Nights at Freddy's as the guys rush in in the absence of real heroes to rescue her. Animatronics attack them, but Dark Shadow makes quick work of all that. Apparently, Yuka's quirk allows her to merge into darkness and somehow control things. It's kind of vague. Uh, doesn't, much, doesn't make much sense why she'd send the puppets after people she knew were friendly towards her, even if she was panicking, but whatever. For takeaways, Dark Shadow is described as looking like a minor bird. This makes less sense than the crow or raven, so I'm just going to ignore it. The idea of quirk insurance is also involved, which I actually really, really like. I love little world-building details like that. Uh, the ride was wrecked by someone whose quirk manifested unexpectedly, and apparently that gets covered. Very cool. They also had me thinking about how scary it must be to be a late elementary slash early middle school teacher. Like, imagine if a quirk manifests in the middle of your lesson on long equations, right? I mean, I, I hope they're paid better than our teachers, at least. Also, Mineta makes a pass at Yuma's mom, which is on brand. I'll also highlight the fact that the theme park the boys visit either gives out or sells headwear that makes you look like some animals. And there's an illustration of the four with their gear on that is absolutely adorable. Uh, especially because A, Tokoyami already looks like a bird, but now has giant monkey ears. And B, Ida ends up with bunny ears, which is appropriate given his speed. They kind of look like the bunny hood from the Zelda series, if you're familiar with that. The next chapter is called Heartwarming Trio. And it's all about a shopping trip for groceries, specifically Moki, with Sue, Ochako, and Momo. Uh, their efforts are interrupted by a penny thief whose quirk is to violently expel pollen from his body after he eats a plant. Uh, he doesn't take their panties, though, to be completely clear. He isn't a, he isn't a member of the Sturm and Drag gang, um, at least not that I know of. When they finally catch up to this guy, he explains that he was on his way to a first date with his longtime crush and crapped his pants. Uh, he thought he'd shoftalifted tidy whities his date arrives on the scene, says she'd take him out uh, with or without underwear. So, fellas, find you a lady who will take you even when you've crapped your pants, I guess. Is that the, the moral of this chapter? I don't know. Uh, there were a few fun and funny elements to it, to be fair. A scene in which 
sneezing from the pollen bungles the girls' first attempt to restrain the man was pretty comical and would have been fun to see actually animated. Sue's sneeze is written as Ribichu, which makes very little sense, but I absolutely adore it. Uh, Achako goes on a little Bubba Gump-like listing of all the ways that you can eat Moki, uh, which was endearing. But when Momo said she hadn't imagined such combinations with Moki, Ochako says, and I quote, something you can't imagine that's hard to believe. But here's the thing, like, Momo imagines nothing. She has to know the actual molecular details of the things that she creates, which is the exact opposite of imagining anything. So that line doesn't have the punch the writer thought that it did. Uh, Also, Sue recommends the guy go commando to his date, and there's some time spent talking about panty fetishes amongst the girls, which seems to get Ochako all flustered. It's a little odd, especially when she is, and I quote, disappointed when it turns out that he doesn't have a fetish, uh, a fetish. and by she, I mean Ochako. It, it was weird. And finally, in the last chapter, creatively entitled 1A Parents' Day, the students wonder where their parents are, uh, as, long, as well as Aizawa, uh, when they're instructed to head to one of the training grounds, which kind of puts everyone on edge. They arrive to the screams of their parents. They've been trapped in a cage on a stone column surrounded by a large pit filled with gasoline, and a villain reveals himself, says that he took down Aizawa and will kill the parent of any student who goes for help. Bakugo, of course, Bakugos, and interrupts the dude's speech, who promptly grabs Mitsuki, Bakugo's mom, threateningly. This just turns into a shouting and name-calling match between mother and son as Mitsuki forgets to play her part as a hostage. They get Hagakure to sneak over there with a stun gun and try to take him out, but when that fails, a fight breaks out, of course. Eventually, the students rally and get all the parents to safety using an ice bridge from Todoroki and a a tarp from Momo, Uh, but Inko, Midori's mom, begins to fall into the now-ignited pit of gasoline. The villain rescues her, though, and Aizawa explains the setup and that the class barely passed. Midoriya realizes that the villain, who Aizawa says is from a local theater troupe, is actually Jinko Jean's All Might, who then calls him the cryingest kid ever. Uh, him being Midoriya, of course, not Aizawa. A few notes on this before I tackle the uh, short epilogue. This chapter actually begins with Mineta telling Tokoyami that he needs to groom Yuma because she, a young child, told him that she loves him. The whole idea of grooming is disgusting and has absolutely no place in My Hero Academia, even from the mouth of Mineta. Humongous, huge, huge misstep in my opinion. Uh, Mineta then gets silenced by Jiro, whom he calls Flatty, and Ida appears not to understand the term. And listen, if Ochako can imagine several panty kinks, uh, Ida should be able to deduce what Flatty means when it's leveled at a girl. He's just characterized as a little bit too naive here in my opinion. Most of Class 1A goes un or hardly mentioned at all. I'll chalk it up to a restriction inherent in the medium. Uh, If this were in a manga volume, you'd at least see several of the students who don't start hanging around in the background of panels and stuff. You don't get that here. Just a few token appearances from the likes of Ojiro, Aoyama, Koda, and a couple others. There's also what I feel is a bit more swearing in this chapter than house style usually allows for. For instance, when Bakugo has the villain pinned, he says, this shit-eating punk's not too tough. And then his mother says, don't say shit. And then Bakugo calls her a shitty hag. All that in the span of a handful of sentences felt like way too much. And lastly, could you imagine if Endeavor did actually show up for Parents' Day? The setup wouldn't have worked at all if he had, but the epilogue shows him arriving at the door of UA and expressing a desire to be as much a part of the day as he can, given his tardiness. Apparently, the notice Aizawa or All Might faxed to his agency fell behind a desk. Uh, But he acts all macho towards Recovery Girl when she calls him on his reason for visiting as I think he tries to sell his appearance as one of happenstance that he was just passing by. But all in all, School Briefs Volume 1 is a glimpse into the day-to-day lives of the 1A students. 
it's very mundane for sure, but not everything has to be high-octane action to matter. I mean, I, re- I really enjoyed the more minor acts of heroism on display in the book. Tokoyami, Ida, Mineta, and Kaminari helping a young girl find her mom, for instance. Ochako, Momo, and Sue intervening in a shoplifting incident. That kind of street-level, everyday stuff. Um, so, yeah, the day-to-day glimpse into their lives includes everyday heroism, and imagine that. Uh, I like that. It also isn't Midoriya-centric, which, if you listen to the podcast, you know I like. It's not that I dislike Midoriya, it's that I appreciate those moments when it isn't just his story. I do feel like there was some mischaracterizations here and there as well, to be fair. So here's the end of it all. While I would quickly and highly recommend Vigilantes or Smash Volumes to fans of My Hero Academia, I don't think I'd be quite as quick to recommend School Briefs, or at least not Volume 1. Part of that may have to do with my age and the book's target market, which would definitely be like half or better of my age. Volume 1 was neat, but I also feel like I'm doing you a bit of a favor by recapping it in 15 minutes uh, and saving you the $10, which again should be put towards Vigilantes or Smash if you ask me. That said, I'll still cover the further volumes for the podcast because it is easy content for me to generate and doubles as a public service of sorts, so who knows? Uh, Maybe one of these others will appeal to me in a way that this one just didn't. But time will tell, so stay tuned. We'll see you next time. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BackPatioNetwork. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 